PD Raw is a podcast sharing the experiences and insights of people with personality disorders or traits by being brave and talking about the things that are shameful and painful. Humans demystify and destigmatize the things that we hide. The aim of this podcast is to let others know that they are not alone. By showing the reality behind our walls, we hope to bring people closer together, connecting in a more open and authentic way. Please be aware that, due to its topic, this podcast is adults only, not safe for work, and may contain triggering content. Hello, Ruthless, and welcome to the pod. Hello, thanks for having me here. So, do you have a diagnosis? Uh, unfortunately, not. It's a kind of a longer story. Mm-hmm. And the beginning of it was about three years ago when I suffered a complete mental breakdown mm-hmm. related to a couple of things that happened in my life. It was during yeah. COVID lockdown. So, of course, that didn't make it any better. Yeah. Um, and I got to like intensive psychiatric care. I don't really know what it's called here. Yeah. But I was hospitalized for a while a couple of times, mm-hmm. but I really didn't do myself any favors because I... Mm, was it wait, did, was it like you didn't see it coming and then when it did come, you were kind of shocked and fought against what was happening? I think that was a part of it. And another thing was that I really didn't sort of come out to myself with these problems. And what it led to was me just lying a bunch to all of the psychiatric professionals and really kind of misled them to a completely different way. Um, Because I knew for a while that something was seriously wrong with me, uh, but I couldn't kind of crystallize what was wrong with me. Okay. What were the kinds of things that made you think there was something wrong? Oh, this is an even longer story. I think ever (laughs) since I was a kid. Okay. Uh, there were just certain things that I wasn't really an outcast socially, but kind of willingly. Oh. Uh, like, especially when I was a teenager, and this is something that I've really been fucked up about later, I think. Uh, I kind of, I've read a lot about like sheltered people, people whose parents kind of shelter their kids mm-hmm. and don't let them have an active and vivid social life. Yeah. Uh, and I didn't have that problem with my parents. Uh, but it was kind of the opposite that I voluntarily did this to myself. And I've been trying to figure out what was the reason for that. Mm-hmm. And I haven't quite like grasped it yet. Okay. So in your family, were they quite social? I'd say both of my parents are social. Uh, yeah. I'm probably the most social of my family now. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I was a teenager, I sort of just distanced myself from all kinds of society. I was just a weird kid. Okay. Um, but the other side of the coin was that I was very, um, you could say, talented socially. And I could mm. really behave well in situations and kind of talk to people very well. But I just didn't care about those things at all when I was a teenager. So then when I became an adult, I just sort of made the decision that, you know, it's probably high time that I start having a social life. So I did. But then during COVID lockdown, the 
kind of feeling of not having one for a while. And I had a kind of a nasty breakup at the time as well. Mm. Uh, and a family member died. So it was a whole bunch of things that sort of snowballed into me having this breakdown. Yeah. I think it happened in March or April of 2020. But even before that, I just knew that there was something wrong with me that I hadn't addressed yet. Mm-hmm. And I think my girlfriend at the time uh, was reading a bunch into these things. I didn't know anything about psychology at the time. And she was kind of thinking that I could be a borderline. Okay. At the time, because, well, at least to her, I showed those kind of symptoms. And I don't think that she was too far off. Uh but yes, then I was hospitalized for a few weeks at a certain point in 2020. I think it was August. Yeah. And I was really in like intensive psychiatric care because I was also misusing uh, some drugs at the time. Mm-hmm. And that didn't really make any of the situation better because I wasn't sleeping at all. And I was just kind of in a psychosis even. Mm-hmm. I didn't get diagnosed any psychosis, but the sort of behavior that I was doing at the time was not in sync with what kind of a person I am otherwise. I was just doing a whole bunch of crazy things and like overspending and and really just being even more of an asshole to people than I normally was. Okay. So you're kind of manic. Like really I'd say up. it was kind of a manic episode, yeah. And um so when just asking about being social, so you say you could be really social, but you withdraw and you didn't enjoy it. Did you have that feeling of being artificial? So you were going out, putting on a personality and really managing to engage with people, but it didn't get to the inside. It was just sort of a, an outside superficial thing. Yeah, it was very much a mask that I had at the time. Okay. Um, I really thought about this and I talked about this with my therapist as well that when you're a kid or a teenager, you don't really have the experiences that would show you that something is abnormal. Mm -hmm. So at the time, I thought that this was just normal people thing. Yeah. You would feel completely artificial and just completely like a loner and like nobody understands you. Mm -hmm. And, And looking back at it, I had a lot of friends that wanted to hang out with me, but most of the time I just ignored them. And it was the same thing with like even people liking me, but there were a lot of people who genuinely liked me and wanted to uh, spend time with me or get to know me better or date me. And I was just kind of a completely blank face staring at them with nothing inside. Okay. So they... in retrospect, of course, it was a good thing that nothing happened at the time, probably. Yeah. They were trying to connect to you, but you were not connecting to them. I think I wasn't really capable of having a deeper connection with someone. It was all just uh, kind of putting on a smiley face and just being fake. So once you were hospitalized, you did the same thing where you masked in front of your the therapists and, and um, professionals there? What kinds I did of- the exactly same thing, yeah. Okay, so what kinds of things were you putting out to them? Or were you just sort of, yeah? uh, The first thing that I was doing was completely uh, putting all blame for my ex to my ex. Yeah. Just shifting all of the blame to another person because Mm -hmm. it was the easiest thing to do. And Mm -hmm. that's not to say that my then ex-girlfriend was perfect. She wasn't. And there was a lot of problems in the relationship from 
I think both of the sides, but I really made her out to be even worse than she was. And I tried to kind of play the victim. Mm -hmm. And I noticed that things that already during my adult life had become kind of a staple for me, uh, certain behaviors, they just sort of became worse when I was in the sideboard. And I would just sort of lie to all of the other people that were there and lie to all the doctors and the nurses and uh, just try to make this image of myself and kind of write a story. It worked. I don't think anybody called me out on it. But on the other hand, they did just sign me off from the board after like two weeks without any diagnosis. Because did- I do think that some of them probably caught on to me not really telling the truth anywhere. So- but this is just part one of the story. Yep, go ahead. So there's a part two, uh, which happens about a year later. And this is completely voluntary from my side. So I didn't have any issues with with doing benzos or doing opioids or alcohol or anything like this anymore. Uh, and I was sort of in a healthier place. Uh, I got out of the very negative headspace where I was at the time. I think I, I distanced myself completely from that ex-girlfriend. It really helped me a lot. And COVID lockdown stopped and I started having a social life again. Mm-hmm. And I think just sort of those things combined really made me a happier person already. And something which was very compulsory for me at the time, uh, or compulsive uh, at the time, was really dating all the time. I couldn't really be single when I was a young adult. And the lockdown made it a little bit more difficult. But then when the lockdown happened, where I live, it wasn't that long. It was only for a couple of months. So after that, I started dating actively again, being with friends actively again. And it just sort of pushed the problem under the rug. Because, of course, it was still there. And I didn't really address any of my issues with when I was in intensive care. But then what happened was that I think it was the next girlfriend after that. I started being a little bit more open to her for some reason. Maybe I had a guilty conscience or something. Yeah, what were you open about? Uh, I was just a lot more open about my history. Oh, okay. I did admit that I had been a shitty person in the past to some people. So that was one thing and another thing was that i did admit a lot of my mental issues to her Mm -hmm. because i was during the hospital that uh, hospitalization i was diagnosed with depression Uh, i think it was a severe depression yeah so that was like the first real diagnosis that i got and i did tell her about those things and i did tell her about the uh really toxic relationship my other relationships at the time weren't really toxic it was just that one that had been really bad uh the other ones was pretty much just me being inauthentic and that kind of leading to things breaking up instead of there being this huge drama i think most people never even found out how inauthentic i was how did she take it then so you've opened up you've kind of taken a risk and opened up how did she receive that it was a double-edged sword because she took those things quite well i think her mom i didn't know this at the time i hadn't met her parents yet but her mom was a psychiatric nurse oh and uh, it would have been so funny if she had been one of the nurses that examined me at the time but uh fortunately that wasn't the case because we lived in different cities but she took it quite well but later on those were things that she started really using against me when we had arguments 
Mm-hmm. But at the time, I'd say that it was pretty much just a good thing. And she really encouraged me to kind of continue uh, getting treatment because I had been completely without treatment. I stopped taking my antidepressants and anxiety meds. And I just went completely cold turkey on everything uh, in late 2020 uh, and really just ignored everything that I had been told and started living my best life again. And of course, it, it only worked for about half a year. Before <laughs> really having serious problems again. Uh, so then I voluntarily called uh, some kind of psychiatric hospital. I don't remember which one it was. Uh, and really just said, that, hey, this is the problems. These are the problems that I'm facing. And I think I need help and I should go to therapy. And at the time, I already had kind of known what was wrong with me. Um, I suspected personally at the time that I had ASPD. Because it was just the most kind of closest thing to what kind of behavior that I had. Mm-hmm. So it took me a while, but I finally got to a good psychologist or a psychiatrist. I don't remember the difference between those, honestly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he was really competent. And obviously, the best thing was that I was telling the truth, at least mostly. Okay. And we got along quite well with the guy. And this was in, I'd say, August, September of uh, 2021. So about a year after the hospitalization. Okay. And what you, was it that you kind of felt comfortable with him and then you were able to be open or was it the other way around? You decided to be open and develop that comfort. Uh, I wouldn't say that I was comfortable with him. But I realized that I had no other choice. Okay. Because also at the time, uh, already uh, after I saw help and before I got help, the situation with my then girlfriend had really gotten a lot worse. Okay. And yeah. at the time, I'd say the problem was exclusively me, even though later there was a whole bunch of like jealousy and, and a lot of negative stuff from her side. At the time, I'd say I was the only problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, during like the summer uh so i really wanted to kind of you know make my life actively worse so i had to do the thing of actually being honest with a professional even though i hated the idea how did it go like what was that like to go in there and start saying the things that you didn't want to say um honestly i fucking hated the guy <laughs> it was so annoying being with him and <laughs> I think the only thing that saved it was that he was not an idiot. Yeah. I mean, and that being said, of course, most of the people that I talked to weren't idiots, but I just perceived them as mm. being not competent enough to deal with Yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. I think that's quite a common thing, probably. Yeah. Uh, and this guy was, he was just a cunt, but he was a competent cunt. So <laughs> in that way, I kind of admired him. Oh, okay. How, how often did you see him? I think it was once a week. And when I say admire, I didn't actually have any sort of deeper feelings towards him. But I just thought that he was the kind of person that could actually make my life better. Ah, so there was, that sounds like some form of trust. I'd say that it was trust, yeah. Yeah, in his judgment. So when you say he was competent, was he able to call you out on things? Like what was it about him that made you feel he was competent? Uh, yeah, it was definitely the ability for him to actually stand up to me 
and just not oh. listen to what I said and just conform me. Okay. Um, all of those things that most of the professionals probably are required to do that as well mm-hmm. to make the patient feel actively better. And um, but the other side there was that at least when I was a patient, I was able to take advantage of that and really steer all of the conversation and all of the help into a certain um certain kind of direction. But with him, I couldn't do that because he never believed me uh, when I started going on about how I was the victim. Oh. I think he had this specific idea of me the moment I walked in there. Of course, I had already told that I suspected that I had a personality disorder at the time. Mm -hmm. And he really, I think he really noticed those things about me. And there was this one time when he really just called me out. Uh, I, it's a funny story because later his boss actually sent him to apologize to me for saying all of this because he was really rough with me one time. I took it well, I didn't really care. And in a way I was, I kind of liked it because it affirmed what I thought about myself at the time. But he really said that, you know, he thinks that I'm a complete psychopath and I, I'm a narcissist. Mm -hmm. And it was at that moment where he kind of brought to the table the idea that I would have NPD. Yeah. And this was still a while before uh, I ended the care that I was in. And what happened with the diagnosis, which was your question, was that for some reason in my country, there is a thing that they are really not willing to give this diagnosis out to almost anyone, even if they have uh, a diagnosis. Uh, So what I was told was that I meet the criteria for both ASPD and, well, we don't have a thing called NPD in the ICD, which we use here, but it's like an unspecified personality disorder, I think is the thing that's basically NPD uh, in the United States. So he said that I meet the criteria for those things, but uh, if I am trying to get therapy, it's not necessarily an advantage to have this diagnosis because therapists won't take me. Mm. Yeah, the, I so, think that they won't take ASPD, will they? Because they believe it's um, it's really not treatable. Yeah. yeah. Or the person is too resistant to treatment and to trusting the therapist and therefore developing the relationship, I think. Definitely. Yeah. So I was basically told this where I, I went there to go to therapy. And I went there to get a diagnosis. But they told me that these things are basically mutually exclusive. Because if I'm diagnosed with ASPD, I'm fucked. And I'm not going to get a therapist. Yeah. Um, But I still identify a lot more with the NPD side of things. Yeah. uh, Mainly because, well, I do meet the criteria for that as well. Mm -hmm. And I think that a lot of my more antisocial uh, features have really calmed down after therapy oh. because I've now been to therapy for a year and a half Yep, and I wouldn't say that it's been a smooth ride and I wouldn't say that it's been uh, wonderful all the time but it's done a lot of good things for me Okay, uh, but yeah I didn't get a formal diagnosis basically because we made a kind of deal at the time that uh, I can go for the diagnosis later on in life but because yep. of my young age, uh, I'm, I'm now in my mid-20s. Yep. So because of my young age and because of the entire therapy thing, uh, it wasn't in my advantage to really get a formal diagnosis. 
Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it was legal for the guy to do that, but he was kind of a questionable psychiatrist anyway. Wait, wait. So he was kind of competent, but he was questionable. Uh, I'd say the questionable side was that he was so straight with people and didn't oh. really care about the other people's feelings. I can imagine that somebody who was a lot more fragile mm-hmm. than I was at the time could really take offense to a lot of things that he said. And when he had to apologize to me on the phone, uh, I wasn't offended by anything that he said. Probably more impressed by how uh, how well he was able to see through a lot of things. But okay. he still felt the need to apologize, and I think that it was his boss probably telling mm-hmm. him to do that. How did his boss find out, though? Uh, the entire case was uh, there was like a doctor as an overseer of the case. Okay. I think I only met the doctor once because it was still COVID time and most of the stuff was on Zoom or Skype or whatever people were using. Uh, but the meetings that I had with the psychiatrist were live, which I think helped a lot. Ah, oh, right. So that's Because sort of... I do think body language is a big, big part of examining these things. So him seeing yours or you, you seeing his or both? Probably both. Okay. I mean, I wasn't the one doing a diagnosis there, but of course I had my own opinions about his body language. Mm-hmm. And I did think that he felt comfortable with me, whereas I think that some some of the nurses and doctors probably didn't. So because he could feel comfortable with you, did, did that make you feel more comfortable with him? I think so, because I was able to be quite honest. Of course, I wasn't completely honest at the time, because this was a year and a half ago before therapy. Mm-hmm. But I'd say that it was the most honest that I had ever been to anyone in real life. Oh, if you felt that he could see you quite well, how did that feel? If you, like you said, you'd been out and about, you'd related or, you know, interacted with people, but from a very artificial kind of a point, how did it feel to have someone to actually see you more clearly? I didn't think about it at the time, honestly. And the other thing that I was talking about before we started was the self-deception. And I think yep. that my entire life before I became an adult was basically self-deception because I never addressed the sort of traumas that I had when I was growing up. I didn't have any big like traumatic thing that happened to me when I was a kid. But I'd say that it was just a whole bunch of small things and yep. almost insignificant things. But when there's enough of them, they kind of snowball into a really big deal yeah and i think i've read about this sort of thing that children have to socialize before they're a certain age and if they don't there's going to be trouble Mm. and i think that when i was a really young boy uh, my mom was sort of overprotective towards me yeah and i think that probably really screwed up a lot of my social functioning when i was a kid and I'd say that that was probably the first strike that kind of led to all of this. Are you saying um, she kept you away from other people or, or what do you mean overprotective? Uh, kind of just always being there for me okay. in, to an unhealthy degree. Yeah. I think with my brother, I, my younger brother, I think with him it was a bit more normal because he wasn't the first kid. But yeah, after I got the required papers for therapy, and basically got myself a shadow diagnosis. 
uh, I started looking for a therapist and I was told that it's the hardest thing ever to do and it's going to take you years to find a, a therapist that you're going to sync with. So I sent the same email to every therapist's email that I could find in my entire area. So it was like hundreds of people that I just sent the exact same email to. And in like two days, I got myself a therapist. Wow. So I was very lucky with that. Did you put some specific things in the email to say that's what you were looking for or just a general one? Yes. Okay. Uh, it was very specific. Um, it was a very detailed kind of analysis of <laughs> what the uh, psychiatrist had told me were my problems. And I just looked at an online register of all of the sort of diagnosis and different uh, different diagnostical things that I had going for me. And I basically just copy pasted things from there to the email. And I found a few therapists that were willing to take me. And the first one was this older guy. Uh, and I met him and we had this therapy session and it was quite good. And then I tried out a couple of more therapists and they were horrid. So I went back to the original one mm -hmm. and I'm still with him. Okay. And it worked really well. Oh, tell me about it. He's good. Uh, there is one major problem with him, which is that he's not qualified when it comes to issues with like personality and kind of behavioral things. I think he's more of a general uh, psychotherapist. But it's still been a really good thing for me, even having someone who you know, on a general level can talk with me about things. But he's not a specialist. I so, think we don't really. Yeah, you could go. Oh, I was only going to say if he's older, he's got more experience, hasn't he? So I guess he's drawing Probably, on yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. I'd say he's in his late 50s. And I was really looking for uh, a sort of older, unattractive guy as a therapist. Because mm -hmm. I realized that if I'm going to go there with a woman who's in her 30s, I'm never going to tell the truth. <laughs> so I really needed a certain type of therapist. And wow. I got lucky with, with having the most sort of uh, unattractive therapist, at least for me. I think that really helps with telling the truth and not wow. being, uh, having this facade. I'll, I'll just be honest with this. Really? So like, okay. Oh, that's interesting. So you... You feel that you can drop everything. There's no competition or or attempt to attract or anything. You can just let all that go and be more yeah. honest. Wow. I think that's a major problem with me is that a lot of things in my life, and I think what makes my problems worse is this kind of struggle of always wanting to be attractive to people. Okay. Yeah. And on a... On a physical level, I'm doing quite well, but of course, the emotional side of things, I'm still a complete wreck, and yeah. that's really what's holding me back from really having any any long term social relationships. Okay, so even more than just a romantic relationship, it's also friendships. Is that right? I've had a lot of problems with friendships as well. I think I'm doing better on that front now than I was a few years ago because yeah. I could just be a dickhead, basically. Yeah, just what? a very selfish and unappreciated friend okay so a bit cruel to them and and that would break the relationships is that what happened that's what happened yeah with i didn't really break a lot of friendships i still have my closest 
friendships because I do also think that there was a kind of thing that if I really liked some friend, if I really thought that they were cool and if I really bonded with them, uh, which I could do ever since I was a kid, even though I said that I had a very difficult thing with like social life. Uh, I still had some close friends, but just not a lot of them. And Mm -hmm. I moved cities when I was 18. And when I moved cities, I realized that, okay, this is a new beginning. I got to do this right. And I just immediately started socializing with people a lot more. It was like a flick of a switch, really. Wow. But you're saying there are other relationships that have um, broken up or or whatever because of past behavior? Uh, In the past, yeah, I've lost a few friends, not really close ones, uh, because of me being, being kind of just not good for them. I do remember there was a friend that I really mistreated because she was like the complete opposite of me. Oh, uh, so what, what that, yeah. What about her made you feel like you wanted to mistreat her? Uh, she was the complete opposite of me in a way that she was, uh, um, what's the term in English? Uh, we have a term in my language that you're like a carpet. I don't yeah. know. If, oh, yeah. a rug. Yeah. A doormat. Yeah. Yeah. A doormat. doormat. That's what yeah, I'm looking for. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Uh, she was just completely bending over for people and I fucking hated that. And ever since we became friends and she was quite a lovely person. Otherwise, honestly, uh, very interested in psychology and these kind of things, but had a very different point of view yeah. from my point of view. She had a more kind of optimistic point of view when I was a complete pessimist at the time. And we clicked on these things. We weren't like close friends. But I really mistreated her and I was a complete dick uh, because I realized that she is the kind of person that's going to bend over for people and do things for people. So I took advantage of that. Yep. Uh, I felt at the time uh, wrongly that a person like this just has this place in society that they're just going to be this person who's going to do things for people. And then there are going to be other people that are just going to take advantage of that. And there are these specific kind of roles in society. It's kind of a pyramid. Yeah. Okay. So so I was really horrible to her. And she had her own issues as well. And I did probably help her with those things, uh, shockingly, by being so rude to her. Oh, in what way? Uh, she had serious issues with relationships. Um, in a way that she was just not attractive to men and she was really she stalked a bunch of men and she was just really a bad person uh, in many ways and really Mm -hmm. obsessive about certain guys and I basically told her that you know you're being a piece of shit doing that and you should stop Mm -hmm. and at a certain point she stopped doing that and I think she's in a healthy relationship now okay I'm not trying to take credit for any of this because it wasn't a big deal to me. She's just another person that I behave badly towards and not really anything major in my life. But that's just one example of me being a really bad friend. And with that, was it um, with the, the sort of doormat side that you were reacting to, was it that you took advantage of her because she was generous, too generous that way, or were you maybe cruel just to that part like um sort of what what did it bring out in you i think it brought out the worst in me 
because what I didn't say yet was that there were just certain aspects of her, like her kind of unconditional empathy for people and unconditional understanding. And uh, the fact that she was just into things that I disliked was another part of that. Um, and I, it was just, she just kind of made me mad just even staying in the room with her okay. and talking about things. Uh, she was very spiritual, which I don't have a problem with spirituality. Uh, I'm not myself, but she kind of made it such a big thing, even in her conversations with her friends that weren't into this shit. Mm -hmm. that I just was kind of revolted by her. And I think that was what led to me kind of acting this way. Mm -hmm. And with some other friends, I had similar problems that there was another friend of mine who really thought that I was this really big misogynist. Uh, and I don't think I am. And my other friends don't think that I am. But she kind of got this perception from me. Probably I said some really terrible things to her specifically because of some reason. And she oh, got this we, idea of me. trying to trigger her or something? I think so, yeah. Yeah. Kind of the same as with the first friend I mentioned. Okay. With but her, we made it up and we're still friends. Yeah. So that's a good thing. But that was something that years ago I just couldn't do would be to admit that I'm wrong about something. I can oh. do that now. Okay. And that's from the therapy? I think that's from the therapy partially. Uh, I don't think that it's really changed my life, but I think that it's done a lot of good. Okay. And that's because you go in there and you're just able to talk very openly? Yeah. He hasn't told me anything that blew my mind in a year and a half. So he hasn't told me anything new, but he's given a lot of perspective into things. And I do think that's helpful as well, even if you're not, you know, discovering something new. So... Is it that um, you go in there and talk about what's going on with you and he'll give you a different perspective? Yeah. Okay. And maybe it's a professional perspective as well. And I do really listen to him. I do disagree with him a lot of the time as well. But it's interesting. But I think even more so than that, what really has changed my life for the better actively is that I've just gotten really lucky with certain things. Yeah. I've had these experiences in this past year and a half that just really made me think a lot about things. Yeah, like what kinds of things? I think one of the first ones was that I had this experience with a girl that was religious in 2021. And this isn't going to go the way that people listening to this are going to think it's going to go <laughs> through probably. Yeah. Um, this has nothing to do with me having a religious awakening, quite the opposite. So what happened was that uh, this girlfriend that made me originally go to uh, treatment voluntarily, uh, I was with her and we had a kind of break uh, because of problems. And during this break, I met this girl who was, uh, she's not from here, but she, she was religious. And for whatever reason, me being me, I steered the conversation and steered all of it into a direction that she thought that I was religious as well, which I wasn't. Okay. And annoyingly, it worked out. What? And she she really thought that I, I was really religious and really okay. uh, did the same things that she did. 
uh, like I read the Bible before sleep and all of this stuff. And I did none of those things, but somehow she believed me. And we had a thing going for a couple of months. And in retrospect, I just started examining this thing that, oh God, I was really a terrible person. Uh, you know, pretending to be religious to get with someone. And even though it worked out, I think that kind of made me feel even worse about it. Mm, because that's, I guess that's an area where, um, you know, when you talk about religion, someone's trying to be the best they can be. So I guess if you're tricking them about that, that might feel extra bad. Yeah. And obviously I doomed the entire uh, social relationship. Uh, if, if Even if it was a friendship, I think it was doomed already at the time when I lied about something so major. Yeah. But since it worked out for me quite well uh, at the time, uh, because at around the time when I realized that, oh, fuck, this is not going to work out. Like, I'm going to slip at a certain point. Uh, that was around the time when my then ex-girlfriend, or the one that I had the break with, came back. And I could just kind of slip and slide back to the original situation that I had. And there was no consequences for me. Yeah. Or any of this. Uh, but just after therapy, I think I talk, talked about this thing with the therapist and I really started thinking about the, wow, this might be one of the worst things that I did that even though she never found out about me lying about something so fundamental and basing the entire, uh, romantic relationship that we had at the time to something that was completely fake, uh, it really made me feel bad. And I think that was a major breakthrough. Okay. So you broke it off with her and went back to the old girlfriend? Is that what happened? That's pretty much what happened, yeah. Uh, There was also that from the religious girl's side, she said that she wanted to think about things, which could be that she was catching on to me or just that she was facing something else. I don't know which one it was because I never really looked back. And then how did it go with your ex once you got back together with her? Oh, it was horrible. It was absolutely <laughs> terrible. Oh, uh, was it was it? a mistake that I did. Yeah. Um, yeah, because, and I'd say, and I know that is really rich coming from me, but I'd say that at this point, it wasn't even my fault anymore. Uh, because what ended up happening was that she became incredibly jealous and envious of things that I had uh, had with other people. So for example, when we had a break and I dated someone else, it was a complete deal breaker for her mm-hmm. and she never got over that. So what ended up happening was that I think I hurt her self-esteem so badly by being with somebody else, uh, at the time that she didn't recover. And what ended up happening was that she started using those earlier things against me, like mm. my mental health. Yeah. And it was really just a nasty situation. And I stayed surprisingly long in that situation. It was still like another half a year with her because, of course, there were good things as well. But I'd say that the situation was just unacceptable at the time. And I didn't have the balls to break up with her, probably because there were still a lot of things in the relationship that were good things for me that I didn't want to leave. Uh, so I didn't break up with her, but what ended up happening, this was in early 2022, 
is that just out of the blue, she just called me and she was like, hey, I want to break up. And I was just like, okay. And there was no drama from both sides. I think it was basically just that it's over and neither one cared. So it was a really easy breakup at the end of the day. Well, that went a bit better than I thought it was going to go. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a roller coaster because the later part of the relationship was such a disaster. But the breakup was the easiest one that I've had in my life. Okay. I do remember she was tearing up a little and she was even a bit surprised that I was taking it so well, knowing me and knowing our history. But I knew at the time that, well, maybe it's not even an NPD thing or or a thing with personality disorders. Maybe it's a more of a common human thing that when somebody kind of uh, pulls a card, a certain type of card in an argument or in any situation a million times, it kind of starts to lose its value. So yeah. what ended up happening in the relationship was that uh, she did overuse certain arguments and certain things to a degree that I just stopped caring about her altogether. And even though I definitely loved her at a certain point, by the time we broke up, I didn't care about her at all. I was basically just staying there because of a feeling of obligation and uh, the sexual part of it, and maybe because I didn't want to completely destroy her feelings. Mm -hmm. So she sort of became ready to let go? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Okay, and so while you were with her this second time, were you grappling also with the feelings from that previous relationship where you had really lied? Because that sounds like that would be a pretty big burden to have the two things sort of going on. It would make a lot of sense for me to have this burden, but no, I got away completely guilty-free from the other one. And only a lot later I thought about that religious thing and how okay. terrible it was from my side. It was like yep. a year later. I think it was only last year, maybe during the summer when I started thinking about how much of a dig I was during that situation. So I didn't really get any consequences from the uh, religious fuckery that I was doing at the time. And it didn't affect the relationship. I think the only part of it that affected the relationship was that it happened and my girlfriend uh, just became really insecure about it even happening. Even though I didn't tell her the specifics of me lying or anything. So after you split up with her for the second time, how did things go? Uh, I was happier for a while. I was really happier. And I think I was improving a lot. We broke up in January of last year. And after that, it was I had this amazing feeling for a couple of months where I'd say that it was the happiest that I had been for a long time. Like my entire adult life's really been about depression and really negative things. But that early 2022, where I had nothing going for me romantically, uh, was one of the happiest parts of my life, I think. But wait, earlier you said that um, dating has really lifted you up. But after that, I guess uh, bad. Yeah. When I'm talking about dating, I'm really just talking about my adult life. I didn't yep. really have too many things going for me when I was a teenager. Yeah. Uh, and I'd say that the aspect of dating where you just sort of meet a million people, uh, that's the part that gets me going, but not actually being in a relationship because I've noticed that 
it's really not possible uh, for me to have a functioning long-term relationship. But there's going to be a lot of cracks uh, at a certain point anyway. And oh. I think that the older I've gotten, the shorter the relationships have gotten, actually. Okay, before stuff starts to happen? Uh, yeah, that as well. Uh, I'm not even necessarily talking about that. Uh, or it, what do you mean with stuff starts to happen? Like oh, the well, negative the, stuff? Yeah, and the cracks and stuff. Yeah, I'd say that it takes an even shorter time. And so you're you're not having a relationship at the moment just to have a break from all that? Is that right? Yeah, I'm not having one at the moment. And I had some things during last year, but this year has been completely just relationship-free. And I'm having a very complicated feelings about it because at the same time I know that it's it makes me feel a lot better to not have the stress of having anything going at the time. Yeah. And at the same time... I'd say the past year and a half, uh, basically the time that I've been in therapy, I've noticed that I haven't really even been attracted to people as much as I used to. Wow. Uh, of course, it could just ha- uh, have to do with depression. That could be the problem. Uh, or then it's a combination of all of this trauma breaking uh, of like having these issues with having a narcissistic personality. I think that's probably the bigger part of it. It's just that I'm changing so fundamentally as a person that I don't really have this energy to be attracted to people. Okay. So how are you changing fundamentally? In what just way? The sort of, just the sort of things that I'm doing, uh, the sort of actions that I take. I mentioned earlier that I don't really think that I would qualify for ASPD anymore because I'm really not a, uh, cold or calculating person, at least on the surface anymore. Wow. That's a pretty big thing. Yeah, like how the hell did you move so fundamentally then? I have no idea. I wouldn't give the credit to the therapist. I don't think that he's that good. Uh, But I just think that it's a combination of these things. Well, one of the examples was the religious uh, experience uh, that really changed how I thought about things, not at the time, but later when I started thinking about it. And then there's been a couple of other ones. Oh, I think a major experience that I had was last year. I think this was a big deal that happened to me at the time because still during 2022, I was doing the sort of stick of just kind of meeting a lot of women and having really nothing serious with them and just sort of letting them go and not even trying to have anything genuine with them and i did this after my breakup for like almost a year and and this was what i what i was basically doing when i was single anyway but there was a day when i think all of it changed and but what happened was that i was clubbing with friends and i yeah yeah and i absolutely hated uh being at a club at the time Uh, i was just not feeling you know drinking alcohol at the time and that's another thing that's completely changed is that I'm completely sober these days when I have never really been in life before. So that's <laughs> been a major thing. I don't know if it really helps with my problems, but I do think that being sober has helped with a lot of other things. But I was clubbing and I really wanted to get out of the situation. So for me, somehow 
it was easier to to attract somebody and go with them than to just leave alone. Maybe I really felt at the time that I couldn't be alone. So okay. that's why I was with her with friends, even though I didn't want to. And that's why I attracted someone that I didn't really want to be with. Yeah. So so I met this girl there and and she was quite a nice person, honestly. And and we clicked and I went to her place and we had sex and all of this stuff. But what I already noticed at the club was that it was even more superficial than it usually was. And I was like, I knew that there is no future for any of this. And why am I even doing this? And I had really complicated feelings about the entire thing. And what happened at her place was that at a certain point, because I was going to stay the night after we did our thing. Uh, but at a certain point, I just started feeling so uncomfortable and I almost wanted to cry at the time. And mm -hmm. it was like the worst I had felt in such a long time. And I think what happened to me was that I felt guilty at the time for doing something that I didn't agree with. Yeah. Uh, personally, just at that moment. And also that I was getting a lot of compassion from the girl's side that I didn't expect at all when having a hookup. What? Really? So she was compassionate because she could tell you were going through a bit of a bad moment or, or what was it about? We didn't talk about any of this stuff, uh, but just being with her at the time and just talking to her about just random things. And, and of course, because it was a hookup, we were talking about those things as well. But somehow I felt a lot safer than I had felt with most people before. Even though I had just met this person, I felt in a way so comfortable that it made me uncomfortable, if you mm. catch what I'm trying to say. Yeah. It felt like a situation where I could be myself, but I realized that I had kind of fucked that up by, from the beginning by being fake me. Mm -hmm. And I just remembered that I really wanted to leave so badly and I was just dying being there, even though I was going to stay the night. And she noticed that something was up because I was not functioning anymore. I, I think I was having some sort of breakdown at the time. Yeah. And I was just sort of being this emotionless face probably at the moment and not really communicating with her and just kind of freezing completely. Mm -hmm. And she asked me to leave, which was a really good call. And so I left, I left home and it was the middle of winter. So it was very snowy here. And I remember walking home. It was like 30 minutes of just walking in, uh, in snowfall from her house to mine. And I remember that there was just a million thoughts going through my head and I was crying and it was, I felt fucking terrible. And mm -hmm. I think that it was probably just a coincidence that all of this happened that night. But for whatever reason, all of this stuff about being fake and having this facade and uh, just doing all of this to attract people. And just to be popular and just to be number one and everything. It just all of it kind of caught up to me that day. And I think after that I haven't been the same. Okay. In is that a good thing or a bad thing or, or I yeah. think it's both. Okay. Because at the same time I think even though I knew before that I had these problems, I think it was that one time when I just realized that I can't do this anymore. That I gotta change so fundamentally. Oh, wow. Or that it's just going to be over for me. Yeah. I kind of realized that is this really the person that I want to be? The person that uh, has superficial uh, friendships with people that can't really open up to people. The person that 
whose romantic life is basically just lying to get into people's pants, then leaving them and doing mm. it all over again. Because I, re- I realized how fucking sad that is, in my opinion, that I was living my life like this. And I wasn't happy. Of course, I wasn't happy. I was completely miserable doing this. And I realized that all of just this just has to change completely. Wow. And so how, wow, how did you progress from there? It's been a rough ride because I think that after this, I've become a lot more depressed. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, I've stopped doing this. And there was a time, or there, there have been a few times uh, afterwards where I've met people at clubs or met people at parties with the same kind of idea. But I've stopped myself from being a manipulative person. And I've tried to be honest with people. And what it's really led to is that I haven't really been attracted to a lot of people recently. But I think I'm better off that way. Why is that? Because the sort of guilt that I started facing from being so fake to people that genuinely liked me, I think it was killing me inside in a way. Because I already had bad experiences from long-term relationships. And I think it's quite logical to think that I just can't really have anything genuine with a person if from the first moment I'm going to be inauthentic. The other person is telling the truth. And even if the other person is all in, I'm kind of dooming everything from the start by just not being real. Yeah. And are you able to then let out some of the real you? You know, are you sort of trialing that at all? I'm are able ma- to do better than I've uh, previously been. Mm-hmm. Uh, I haven't been dating anyone for a while, so I don't know how it would work in practice uh, if I try to have a romantic thing with someone. I'm at the moment kind of scared of facing this reality. Mm-hmm. Uh, but definitely during... I don't remember if it was December or November when the thing that I just talked about for a while happened, but I think the real me was kind of trying to get out at the time and I was still suppressing it, but it was so difficult at the time that I had a breakdown. Yeah. But yeah, I realized then that there's no way that I'm going to keep up this, this uh, facade anymore. That's great. Yeah, but it was a crazy experience, and I don't think I've quite recovered from that. It was really painful? It was really painful at the time, and I didn't really care about being kicked out of somebody's home. I've had worse. So that was not the part that really triggered me, but what triggered me was how awful I was feeling inside and how I really wanted to apologize to this girl, and I, and I did. Uh, it was really uncomfortable for me to do that, but I texted her the following day apologizing for my behavior and she she took the apology quite well and she didn't know what was going on with me so she was quite uh, surprised by everything and i didn't tell her the specifics but i just basically said that i wasn't feeling well but Mm -hmm. she was quite surprised with how i was acting but she accepted the apology and i was quite proud of myself for actually stepping up and doing that even Mm. though i might have not even needed to so that and that was another change for you too then was it to make that apology I hadn't done that before so in a sense yeah yeah you kind of I've even I've even thought about doing like apologizing to people that I've wronged in the past like years later but people have really talked me out of doing that and I understand why because imagine if I apologized to the religious girl now and I told her the entire thing 
Mm. I would probably break her self-esteem completely, even though it's been almost two years. So there is no reason for me to kind of open those wounds again. Even if it would make me feel better, I think it would Mm. make her feel a lot worse. It is funny not knowing what to do in those circumstances, isn't it? Because some people I'll look back and think, I'd love an apology from them. But then I guess other people know you wouldn't want to hear from them again. Yeah, and I think that, well, I know that the religious girl is in a better place now and actually has a lot of good things going for her uh, because I do think we still follow each other on like some social media. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I wouldn't want to kind of just re-enter her life because I can imagine it would be a difficult situation for her as well that this former person that she liked just comes back to her life, says that he was he lied about everything. Mm. And I mean, I wouldn't be able to trust the person after that. Yeah, I can see that. Well, that's interesting because last year I met someone who she openly admitted to having depression and anxiety and she said to me that she had a narcissistic parent and she was the golden child and that her sibling was a scapegoat and that it had been very stressful for her as a child um, trying to live up to those expectations and also to protect her sibling. Um, but I was kind of struck because I saw her with her own child and she was very warm and affectionate. And I thought in in having the depression and anxiety inside her rather than pushing it out of herself, I think she managed to not, yeah, not hurt others as a result. So because I do read people's comments and I wonder if you get to a point where you um, let those walls, those inner walls crack and you let that pain back inside yourself, you are no longer pushing it out onto other people. So it's got to be better in terms of your interactions. Even if you're feeling worse, I'm sure it's better in regards to other people. Does that sound like it could have any That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. I was just about to, well, I didn't just about to say that I don't think that it's healthy to keep all of this anger and all of that negative feelings inside either. But you kind of said the same thing as well. But in a sense, it will probably be better for your social life because you're not going to enact those negative kind of things towards everyone else and not be a horrible person. Mm. Uh, But at the same time, you might even feel worse inside. And I think that's kind of what I've been facing at the time. It's, It's funny that you bring up children and sort of being a parent, because even though I'm not a parent, I've just been thinking about this thing that I think that I would be a significantly better parent than I would be a partner. Why is that? I just think that I couldn't do the same thing to push out my own negativity to someone who would be my child or someone who looks up to me, where it's, it's extremely easy to do that to a partner. Okay. Of course, would- it could be bullshit, but that's just the way that I feel at the moment. Yeah, it's like an intuition. Have you noticed that your behavior to others has improved at the same time as you got that, um, you went through that experience? Did you it find has, that? Yeah. Yeah, I've gotten so much better after like during the past six months or so. Uh, but the other part of this is that 
in a sense that I haven't gotten better because my behavior has gotten better, but all of the feelings are still inside and it's really being tough at the moment. Okay. Uh, because I haven't really escaped all of the uh, feelings that come with having these issues. They're all still here, but mm -hmm. I'm just not letting them out anymore. So it's basically the same thing that you just talked about, how uh, the walls that a person kind of builds up for themselves, they start to crack at a certain point because I don't think anyone can be antisocial or narcissistic and forever just kind of keep it inside. Uh, for me, certainly, I know that I've had these issues when I was a teenager already, but I didn't let them out at the time. But when I became an adult, uh, everything started to crack and I started being a terrible person to people. But there is a point when you can probably learn to take all of that in, like you said. But I don't know if it's a good thing because you're still going to reinforce all of those uh, negative ideas and facades if you do that. So even though you've sort of accepted that pain inside yourself, what you feel trapped within it or, or what's going on? I think I feel trapped, yeah. Uh, probably my, my number one goal is getting away from all of this at a certain point after therapy. And it's probably going to take years and I hope it's going to happen one day. But yeah. I really feel that how I'm living my life now isn't good either. Even though I'm such a better person to people and I'm not really even a bad person to anyone anymore. I even surprise myself in how empathetic I can act. But it doesn't make it easy to be me because I'm okay. still having the same issues, but they're just internal now. Okay. So what are those same issues then that you're having? Um, I haven't really figured all of it out. But I know that a big part of me developing these things has to do with self-esteem. Yeah. And I think that, well, I've talked a lot about attraction and relationships uh, during this. So I think that I'm quite an insecure person mm. uh, with those things. And I'm not really sure where the insecurity stems from because I don't, have a bad self-esteem with the way I look or the way I, I act. Uh, but there's just some kind of insecurity probably deep inside me that makes me want to overcompensate when it comes to relationships and affairs and stuff like that. So is it mostly centered around um, romantic relationships or is it relationships in general? I'd say in general about being popular and about being uh, especially being popular in a, in a sense of uh, the opposite gender. Mm -hmm. So I think that's one major insecurity that I still have. I wouldn't say that it's been tough now when I haven't dated for a while. Uh, it hasn't been tough. But the feelings associated with all of this is, is kind of a difficult thing because at the moment, I'm not really wanting to participate in any kind of relationship because I think that I'm not ready for that now, that there's you, a lot of work that has to be done before. Yeah. Uh, are you saying it's difficult too because maybe you don't know if it can be resolved or when it can be resolved? I'm afraid that I'm just going to do the same mistakes again. Okay. Yeah. I don't think I'm at a place yet when where I'm really able to 
love someone properly mm-hmm. or even be loved by someone properly. Yeah. Is there so, maybe the question, could someone love you if they saw you as you really are? That's a tough one. And I think I've, a lot of people in r slash NPD have talked about this feeling of being unloved and just kind of so broken that nobody can really understand them. And I really understand the feeling as well okay. uh, because I've, I've been there and it could be a part partially why a lot of us tend to kind of suppress our real self and hide behind this wall and put on this mask because I feel that inside me, there are some things that I just hate on such a raw level that I'm not willing to let those things out. Okay. Is it, is it that you don't like them for yourself or that you think other people won't like them or is it both? I'm not really sure. This is something that I've had a really tough time trying to figure out, but I know that this is probably one of the biggest reasons why I'm having this shit. Yeah. And this was the other topic that uh, before we started, I was talking about is like self-deception and how I use it actively as a coping mechanism to all of this. In what way? And, Uh, It's kind of hard to say. I haven't talked about this with anyone and certainly not in English. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I was thinking about this earlier when I, uh, just before this a little bit. And I think for me it has to do with kind of accepting um, at the same time the truth and kind of making an alternate version of the truth. And kind of both of those things can exist at the same time this sort of almost Orwellian type of thing. Okay. You mean a version accepting the real you and a version of you or truth about the world or, or what kind of truth and alternate view? Uh, I wouldn't even bring this to any kind of level outside of myself, but basically just that there's the real me. Yeah. And then there's the facade and I alternate between them when it makes sense to put on this mask, I still put it on, yeah. even though I know it's not healthy for me. Mm-hmm. And when I'm trying to face my issues, I try to be the real me. But then if it becomes too difficult, I'm going to cope with uh, just putting on the fake self again and believing it. Okay. So I'm talking about this kind of self-deception. Oh, so you slip into a persona and with that persona you believe in them it's not just a mask okay did you do that before you you kind uh, of believe sure i think i did that before because i actually believe those things yeah whereas now i do those uh, i i do those things and i don't believe in them but i choose to believe in them if that makes sense is it while you're in that persona that you believe and then you slip out of the persona or like how does that work? Uh, like for example, now I'm not actively having the persona. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
But I'd say that if I was with a friend here that knew me in real life and I was feeling uncomfortable or I was feeling like I couldn't really be my real self, I would slip into that persona and just sort of accept that as the reality. Mm -hmm. I think that's probably one of the most difficult and even dangerous things about having a personality disorder, at least it's my experience, that you're going to do a lot more damage if you believe the stuff that you do, okay. even if it's not real. But kind of the sense that you can lie about something, but the most convincing liar is going to be the one that actually believes it himself. Okay. Have you read um, about the theories about development of um, NPD? Not too much. I'm kind of a lazy reader. Yeah, because uh, some of the, well, the theories I've read say that um, the child feels a very deep level of rejection very early in life and sort of turns away from other people in a way with contempt, but also finds that a false uh, self is acceptable. So uh, when you display you know, when the child is open about themselves and these bits are rejected and then they act in a different way and they find acceptance, they abandon themselves and then keep developing this false persona that receives the kind of um, reaction from caregivers that that they need. Um, And, yeah, certainly there are a lot of sense, Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a protect, it can be protective, I guess, if you feel attacked, or I guess if you feel invisible and ignored, you would also put on these different behaviors. But yeah, that's the theory. And so the person has not received the attention and validation for that real self. And so it hasn't developed and developed with the strength that it needs. Um, yeah, so that's, yeah, that's the theory there. And it really yeah, aligns with I think it makes a lot of saying. sense for me, yeah. Yeah. So essentially that when you're a kid and thing number one doesn't work out, yeah, you're going to start doing thing number two, even if it's unhealthy. Yeah, exactly. And you're going to abandon thing number one if it brings yeah. rejection. Yeah. Even if thing number one is the first kind of authentic thing that you try to do, I think number two is a sort of replacement for it. Yeah, yeah. And did you know my primary diagnosis was um, borderline? Yeah. And I think think to me the more I kind of read people's accounts, I think borderline stays in touch with the pain and I think they have a sort of a more chaotic pain um, whereas NPD actually maybe they're attacked for emotions, so they they just cut off from it. They detach. It's like they they cut the cord and they can't feel it, even though it's still there. They really can't feel it, and then feel very empty, um, and I think lost uh, within themselves. I think so. Yeah. Yeah, and of uh, course the pain is gonna resurface from time yeah. to time, and I think that's when people have these sort of narcissistic crashes mm. that I guess I've even faced a couple of times in my life. Yeah. So certainly the the first thing that I talked about in during COVID lockdown in, in 2020, I think that was a narcissistic crash probably. Okay. Because uh, everything 
that I had kind of built at the time, like my relationship and all of my friendships, suddenly they weren't there anymore. Mm. Yeah. And I felt be- lonely and alone. Yes. Yes, because um the theory of the development um is when you're you know, when you're an infant, you have no idea what you're experiencing or, or what the world is. And when your caregiver holds you and talks to you and sees you and reacts to you, you learn who you are by being seen. So if they look at you and can really perceive who you are and respond in a really genuine way, their reaction helps you um, understand and make sense of yourself. So if you don't have that, if if they're sort of ignoring you or rejecting you when you are your real self and then that false self, you develop that in order to be seen, um, you've got nothing in there that's stable and strong to give you that feeling of yourself. So you will continue looking outward. So that's, you know, they talk about um, narcissism looking for supply. It's perhaps that never-ending search for that um, initial parent looking down at you and recognizing you for who you are and giving you that sense of yourself. And because it gets... Yeah, and the other thing I find with people with MPD is they're very, very... um, It's very difficult for them to admit wanting love and affection. And BPD, it's... They're kind of the opposite. And I think that's why we click together because we express different parts of the world um, to each other and, and make ourselves feel more whole. But yeah, it's that to be able to openly say, I want affection, I need affection, I need love. Um, that's very hard, I think, for I people with NPD. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. It's, and, and so I think what I understand is it's, shameful like I think the child's been attacked or felt that it's dangerous to want and need other people so they've shut off from that um and detached from that part of themselves whereas BPD I think think, yeah and BPD in the family is actually the one who's given that role so I know I was looked down on in my family and I was seen as weak and I think uh, as BPD, you act as the needy one for the whole family. So you express it, um, but they can reject you at the same time and look down at you for being weak and needy because, of course, we all have that within ourselves. Um, and that's how that's resolved in that family dynamic. But um, yeah, that's something that I think then for people with NPD. I think that gives an emptiness too because um, you've had to detach from these really powerful and important parts within yourself um, to stay safe. Um, And BPD, yeah, I think that's why BPD can be that little bit easier to recover because you know that you want that love and you feel like you... You don't have the walls in place. No, you you have different ones and you feel contemptible and worthless but um maybe you've got a little bit more of a belief yeah because you put other people up above yourself so you're likely to go oh you know they really do they are they know what they're doing they're looking after me and they they do care because um you've hung on to that part of yourself that does care about other people so when they 
give you some positivity, you can receive it. Whereas if you've cut off from that, it's very hard for that stuff to go in. I think this makes a lot of sense, yeah. Yeah. And at the end of the day, I don't think that NPD and BBD are even that different. Or no. all of cluster B, I think, is pretty much the same thing. Yeah. But just people deal with it in completely different ways. Yeah, it's so, like the surface is different, but underneath it's really, really similar. And I find... It's a I similar think, trauma, probably. Yeah, we click because we kind of get each other on that deep level. It's kind of like the symptoms are the same, even, but just the sort of way of dealing with it. Yeah. Like somebody somebody with NPD is probably going to uh, really put this facade and put it to 11 and just kind of not even accept that they are human and just kind of hide away from all of this love. Mm. And, and like you said, it's and I agree with this, that it's really difficult for at least me, uh, someone with uh, NPD, to accept that I need love and I need affection. And I yeah. think it stems from, from the thing that we talked about earlier, how uh, when you're a kid, you're sort of an extension of your parents' personality before you form your own. So if there's something that goes wrong there, so if the parent fucks up or if there's some other trauma, mm. uh, you might never really develop that own healthy personality. And especially yeah. if the other thing about trying thing one is failing, and the parent not recognizing your needs, and then trying need to uh, trying thing number two, which could be just a more dramatic and crazy version of thing one, and basically it could be this narcissist looking for supply even at a young age, and this yeah. supply is nothing more than just attention and affection and kind of acceptance from a parent probably. Yeah, we just shape ourselves, don't we? Because we need it so much. We'll do anything to get it. Um, and, you know, even if it means getting out a saw and sawing off our arm, you know, yeah, and, and, yeah we will do it. I think, just- that, I think that at the end of the day, and this might be a hot take, and it sounds a lot worse than I'm intending it to be, but I think at the end of the day, I am personally to blame for most of the bad stuff that's happened to me. I didn't cause it, but uh, I do think that I saw it of my own arm at a certain point. And yeah. it's most likely not the case for everyone. So I'm not trying to say that, all oh, the personality disorder, it's your own fault. Of course not. But I do think that had I done things differently, I probably wouldn't be in this situation. And it's very unfair for me to say this towards myself, I know. But it's probably true. Mm. but it's because we need love isn't it yeah yeah Yeah. so i can't really blame myself and nobody can really blame themselves for getting into Mm. this situation because of course other people make mistakes as well like Mm. when i think about my parents i do love them but i do think that they made a lot of mistakes that led to this situation and Mm. i think that they failed to recognize that i had issues and they kind of saw me as a perfect child. Oh, and, really? And because I was the golden child. Um, ah. And they really probably saw me as perfect, especially my mom. Um, ah. You know, this kind of cliche of you're perfect just the way you are. Yeah. Even though 
ever since from a young age, I had significant mental illness, probably. So uh, I just never, never really got help. Yeah. Until I was an adult. So her seeing you as perfect, that felt like it wasn't the real you. It could be that as well. I don't really remember how much I had a mask when I was a kid. Yeah. Uh, probably not as much as now, because when I was a kid, I was a complete asshole. I mean, <laughs> I even looked like King Joffrey from Game of Thrones when I was a kid. Uh, <laughs> and I had the personality as well. It was crazy. Wow. I was just a mean kid. Oh, oh, that's so interesting. Well, do you know, we've talked for a while now, so I think that's basically part one and part two, but I would like to come back and talk to you further yeah. on this because we've only just started. Yeah, it's going really well, I think. Yeah, and you've really been really open. Thank you for that. And, yeah, we've only got to level one. Yeah. Yeah, cool. it's been wonderful. So uh, this is an invitation for you to come back and tell me more about your life. Um, but for now, um, yeah, thank you for being on. Thank you for having me. It's been wonderful. Okay. Bye. Bye.